The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Week 9, not all the way to bed. We've still got Oregon messing around out there uh, right with Washington State. Utah handing it right now to Cal. Uh, Utah State Air Force. A few more games wrapping it up. It's 12-12 a.m. out on the East Coast. And that is where Barton Simmons is in Stanford, Connecticut. Tom in Chicago. And Barton, I I think that I feel like we've got to just sort of open up here with a, a general, just like, are you Mr. Money Line Sprinkle? The man hit Kansas State over Oklahoma. We got a lot of games to get to. We had three top 10 teams lose, uh, multiple ranked teams fall, some moving and shaking all over the place. Bananas finishes in the Big 12. But I, I, I mean, we got to start with K State because you called it right there. It was a foggy, it was a weird morning, and you were like, you know what? This is either going to be a blowout Oklahoma win, but if it's close, Kansas State might win the damn thing, and they went and did. So how are you feeling uh, knowing that you called that one perfectly, plus 1,100 money line sprinkle? It was pretty euphoric. It was a pretty euphoric morning. Uh, you know, I didn't think – I, I, I look, I felt pretty good about it going in, and, and I, I wasn't going to be surprised if they won, but – it went. It went like just about according to like the perfect script for it. I mean, they uh, they got a couple turnovers. They hung around, moved the ball through on the ground, um, and and just they they kind of armied them from last year. And the fact that they actually hit it and won, and they didn't leave me at the altar, man, that was a good feeling. And and all the. Even though I had to sweat through a bunch of people prematurely calling it a win, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I I survived and we got that W and there was a you know n- then nothing could go wrong the rest of the day. I was having fun messing with you about that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, hey, all all's well it ends well. We, we <laughs> yeah. We're we're sixteen point two five units up on the three money line pick so far. So I know. We're, we're big, you know, the, the Cover 3 podcast folks are high rollers. It's a high-class clientele. <laughs> so I know most people are putting like 10 grand per unit uh, down. And so, you know, a bunch of, bunch of folks are up like 160K right now on those picks. So we, we, we put some kid through college today. No doubt. The uh, the the listeners were out in full force, and of course, we love all the interaction. Uh, Mail, Mailbag Monday coming up. I don't know if if you li- if you submit on Sunday, it might take another week. Just in case you're you're wondering around that, sometimes the the way that reviews actually post takes some time. But do if you want to go and leave a five star review and a question, uh, we will add it to the mailbag and we will address it on a Mailbag Monday. Of course, you can always get at us on Twitter as well. As t- Tom, I guess as we start to as we start to like go ahead and and pull this this particular game apart, 
Do you look at Oklahoma as, uh, damn, you, this was a no-show appearance and you picked a bad time to no-show and think about all that you've lost? Or do you think that you were finding anything bigger picture to take away from this about the Sooners? No, I think this was just something that we've seen happen and that happens in college football. And it's like the reasons Barton picked it to happen where it was one of those situations they're going on the road, an early kick, facing the kind of team that they don't really see a whole lot of in the Big 12. And, you know, they got caught off guard. It's actually like the perfect Oklahoma loss because if you look in the box score, they averaged 9.4 yards per play on offense <laughs> and they lost. Kansas State averaged 5.8 yards. Oklahoma had 500 yards of offense, and it lost. It's just it turned the ball over twice. And I think that this clearly makes things a lot iffier for the suitors going forward. They could still make the playoff because I don't think at the end of the season a seven-point loss to Kansas State is going to be anything that you know disqualifies them from consideration. It's just now they're in a situation where they clearly they have to win out because if you look like right now Oregon's in a close one with Wazoo as we record this Oregon suddenly got a second life with this Oklahoma loss because now Oregon's playoff hopes are back if they went out and win the Pac-12 because there's another one loss team out there so I think that if you look at Oregon at Oklahoma, there's going to be an overreaction saying that, wow, I thought the defense was fixed, and then they gave up you know, 48 to Kansas State. Really, they gave up 48 points, but if you look closer at the box score, it's not like Oklahoma's defense got run over and got crushed. They lost a game, and I think going forward, they're still going to be fine. I still think they're the better team in the Big 12, even though Baylor is now all alone at the top of the conference. It's just... This is one of those things that happens, and it's the third week in a row that it's happened. Last week was Wisconsin. The week before it was Georgia. Who's it going to be next week? Don't know. I think that I'm as the game was unfolding, Barton's words were ringing in my ear that, you know, like Barton, you even said it. I think this team has, you know, one, if not maybe a couple of losses on this late season schedule. And I I was sort of talking myself into the mo more optimistic view of the Oklahoma Sooners moving forward that they would finish the regular season undefeated and, and beat whoever that showed up in Dallas in the Big 12 championship game and make it to the college football playoff. Heck, I was ready to, to continue on my Oklahoma national championship journey. But as this game unfolded, I, I even just started to look ahead at the schedule and I thought to myself, I was like, well maybe I uh, maybe I need a little bit of a cold shower with the Sooners. Maybe it wasn't just that this is a game that happens in college football, but but just maybe because of like not only Oklahoma factors, but just the Big 12 in general, there just might be more losses. I mean, we saw what Oklahoma State did to Iowa State. We mentioned Baylor, who just uh, continues to be undefeated. They were off this week. And then, you know, Kansas State, now 5-2. and two, That's a team that might be nationally ranked on Sunday. And as we mentioned before, is pretty darn good in its first year under Chris Kleiman. So, like, so, so, Barton, do you think there is another loss for the Sooners between now and the end of the regular season? Well, first, I mean, when you think of all the hand ringers out there that have been bemoaning the death of college football is just sort of there's no parity in it and it's just the haves and the have nots. And, and uh, I think this loss reminds us once again that just because a team is good or is favored or I mean, if a team looks like they got a loss in them somewhere, it, it you don't have to be able to pick out the loss. To, to, to trust that they're going to find it. Like, uh, look, Clemson's starting to look like maybe they don't have quite the loss that we thought, but uh, you know what? They may have one. It, you, you may not have to pick where it's coming for Clemson to lose. You don't have to pick where the Oklahoma loss is coming to know that team didn't look perfect. Uh, Alabama doesn't look perfect. You know, like there's, I, I think the idea of, of, of it's, it's just the top, five and everyone else is like there's actually more parity in college football right now than than there's been a long time if you look at the big 12 i mean the big 12 it, it totally cannibalizes itself look at the look at the acc yeah it's 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 clemson and everyone else but everyone else is is all beaten up on each other um you know ohio state's got the toughest road ahead with with probably the t the best remaining game on its schedule other than that alabama lsu game with penn state but um, I, I just think teams with flaws, th those flaws get, get found out at some point, and, and that's what happened here. 
with Kansas State. So look, they're still very much in the playoff picture. They're still very much uh, control. They don't control their own fate, but they if they take care of business, they'll be in pretty good shape. Um, I just think this is this is what happens in college football. If you're not perfect, you're probably going to get got at some point. And I I do think Oklahoma was it could lose again. I'm not, I don't know that I'm predicting they'll lose again, but uh, uh, they're they're capable of it. I mean, we saw it with Texas too. I mean, everyone just thinks Texas big name Texas, uh, but that looked that did not look like a team that was going to walk through the rest of his schedule, and it got got. Yeah, because if, if we look at the rest of Oklahoma's schedule, I mean, they, they're on a bye next week. Then they get Iowa State. Then they're on the road at Baylor, which is now, you know, a huge game. Then they get TCU back in Norman, and they finish the road, finish the season on the road for Bedlam against Oklahoma State, an Oklahoma State team that looked, you know, kind of revitalized today against Iowa State. So this is a team that could lose again. I don't, I don't know that I think it's going to, but it's certainly not something we could just dismiss as a very real possibility. I'm shook. I'm I'm like full tilt on this. I went I did so much work to talk myself into Oklahoma winning the national championship that now I think they're going to win lose two more games. First USC and now Oklahoma. Yeah. Just <laughs> <Yes>. spiraling. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm tumbling really really fast. Uh any anything else from this game or anything do we want to talk about the onside kick? I mean it was a, a amazing Amazing play to watch, but after watching the replay and the review, I understand uh, it looked as though Oklahoma had recovered a wild onside kick. I'm sure that most listeners would have seen it, but if not, go check out the highlight. The review showed that the ball actually uh, had ricocheted forward because it had grazed the knee or leg of an Oklahoma player at the nine and a half yard mark, needing 10 yards for it to be a live ball. So uh, a half yard difference between Oklahoma getting a chance to try and drive for a uh, final score. Like you, like you know, yeah, they totally would have yeah. going to score. <laughs> but did, did you guys hear Lincoln Riley's um, issue with the call after the game? Uh, apparently, and I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not super familiar with this rule, and I guess it popped up last year, and he cited this. I didn't hear the quote. This was just sort of passed on to me. What he said was the Trajan Bridges, who was the player that the the ball ricocheted off of at nine and a half yards, was engaged by a a Kansas State player. And so apparently by rule, Lincoln Riley's understanding was that should have sort of nullified the penalty of him touching it early. And if you if you watch the replay, he was engaged. He was dive, that, He was yeah, diving forward. If that is in fact the, the the rule, I mean the Kansas State player did engage him. Like he was. Um, I don't know whether the Kansas State player caused him to hit the ball or not, but I mean, I I think you could make a case that the Kansas State player initiated the contact with him, and then you know, I mean, I'm just watching. Right now, as we're sitting here, watching on replay, and that's what happened. I mean, the Kansas State player pushed him, and, and, and in a way, pushed him towards the ball as both were converging on that ten-yard mark. So, it's a pretty interesting dilemma and debate there. And I wonder if that call by the book was properly handled. Mm. I think I think it is the they were engaged, but I think the rule here the here's the word here's the rule. It's rule two eleven four c. That's my guy. I knew you'd have it. Forced touching results when a player's contact with the ball is due to an opponent blocking him into it or the ball being batted or illegally kicked into him by an opponent. If the touching is forced, the player in question by rule has not touched the ball. So my interpretation is that just because they're engaged doesn't mean it's it's whatever in the rule unless the Kansas State player was deliberately pushing him into the ball, which could- I don't no, I, I will look. It's a judgment call. You could absolutely make a case that Bridges touched the ball because the Kansas State player pushed him into it. Because the Kansas State player is kind of pushing him from the shoulder towards the ball. And I, I, look, it's a judge. Like I said, it's a judgment call. It probably could go either way. But I think you could interpret that play as he was pushed into the football. Listen, here's what I think is happening. It's just you're so humble that you're. <laughs> You you feel ashamed that you want all this money and you're trying to be like I don't deserve it, but Barton, you deserve it. Don't Listen, don't don't look for reasons to take, give it away. You, hey, you earned it. 
we can spend an hour and a half on Kansas State, Oklahoma, if you want to. You know, I, I got I got $1,100 to talk about it with. Um, all right. Well, let's, let, let's then uh, take it on elsewhere. Before we get to some of the other top 10 and ranked losses, open question for the floor. Were, was LSU's narrow win against Auburn or Ohio State's dominance against Wisconsin between those two, um, Barton first, which which victory stood out to you and is going to linger uh, as you begin to move forward when we start to consider these teams at the top? Uh, well, I mean, look, I think obviously Ohio State's was more dominant. Um, I think... I mean, I know. I mean, Tom was tweeting about it during the game, and I think the narrow win didn't quite do justice to how much better LSU is than Auburn. But credit Auburn for you know, sucking them into that kind of game where they could can stay close. See, I can but flush. I can flush the Auburn game. I think that I can flush the Auburn game. I know what LSU is. I think that the Ohio State win and the nature of it was one of those like, oh, okay. That was an uncomfortable spot, and you got yourself out of an uncomfortable spot, and then got got the game back to where you wanted it to be, and you took care of business. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's where I'm at too. I, I think if you're trying to tell me Ohio State's not the best team in the country, I, I'm not trying to hear it. There, I, well, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Like some, like I'm not. There, clearly. There's a few teams that can win a national championship, and Ohio State is nowhere close to a lock to win the national championship. I just think – I don't know how you can make an argument that based on body of work to this point in the season that Ohio State hasn't looked like the best team in the country. And the the Wisconsin showing is just another example of that. How about Chase Young? Holy <laughs> crap. Like, holy – He's the best player in the country. He's unbelievable. Yeah. He's doing – he is – he did that. And, like, it took me a while to, to sort of – for this to to register with me. Like, I didn't even think about this until I was pulling, like – you know, I was like uh, – it's like 1130 at night on HQ, and we talked about it four times already over the course of the day. We've done this highlight, like, seven times, and I'm trying to find a new angle. And I thought about this, and it really hit me. It's like he did that, those four sacks and – Five tackles for loss and two forced fumbles and all that stuff against Wisconsin's yeah. offensive line. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He wasn't doing it against Illinois. He did it against Wisconsin's offensive line. He's unreal. Yeah, what I loved about what Ohio State did with him today, too, is because they were moving him all around. Like on third downs, he was playing inside linebacker at times, and it wasn't like he – I think he had one sack from linebacker, at least one tackle from loss. But more than anything, because if you're Wisconsin and you're Jack Cohn, the one thing that you're – the first thing you're doing when you get to the line of scrimmage and read the defense is you're finding out where Chase Young is at. So by moving him around – you're just giving Cone something else that he has to think about because he's expecting to see Young either at the end on the left or the end on the right, but then he looks up and he's the Mike. Yeah. So now it's like, wait, what? <laughs> so you're putting something else in the quarterback's mind that he has to think about just to confuse him a little bit before the snap, and I think it was very effective and just kind of disrupting what Wisconsin wanted to do because I don't think – I think it kind of shook him a little bit. It didn't have a major impact on any play, but I think it was just one of those things that in the scheme of things made – it just confused the quarterback and kind of got in his head a little bit because he didn't know where Young was going to be on any given play. Does does Ohio State being able to just like overwhelm opponents with its defense, is that the thing that puts you over the top? Because I didn't think that this was a great game for Justin Fields, and I thought that for a good portion of the first half – Wisconsin's defense did a really good job against him. But, you yeah. know, J.K. Dobbins, the Ohio State offensive line that was just sort of able to to wear on that uh, Wisconsin defense. You know, we saw Connor Orr get put into the ground on a stiff arm, and it's like that has to be just taking 30, 35 minutes of pounding where it, eventually you're just going to break. I, You know, I, I know Justin Fields' stats at the end weren't 
that impressive, at least not compared to, you know, what we've seen from him do. But I was really impressed with him simply because Wisconsin, Jim Leonard, I thought the Badgers did a really good job in this game coming up with a defense that was going to confuse him. And it was clear that what they were doing early in the game was confusing the Ohio State offense. They weren't really able to get anything done. But then towards the end of the first half, whether it was Ryan Day who figured it out or Justin Fields just kind of was able to dissect the defense, you saw the light come on. And I think that was a big thing because Ohio State hadn't really been challenged at any point in this season. And for me, when I saw Fields kind of make that adjustment where he said, oh, okay, I know what they're doing. I know where I'm going. You know, he was figuring things out. And then that's when the Ohio State offense took off. So for me, going forward, I thought that was a great moment. So even if his stats didn't look great, it was a very encouraging thing for me going, you know, as far as his performance. But as for your original question of is, is Ohio State's defense what's separate? Yes. Because it's, you know, I've never... I've always thought, you know, defense wins championships is a misnomer. You don't win a championship because of your defense, but you're not going to win one without a good defense. So I think that, yes, this is that's the thing that makes Ohio State one of those few teams that can win the national title this year because that defense is just outstanding. We're, we've only talked about Chase Young, who's, like we said, the best player in the country, but he's not the only player on that defense. There's a ton of great players on this defense who had terrific games. Devon Hamilton made one play where he nearly tackled Jonathan Taylor as he was getting the handoff five yards in the backfield. It was it was like a Troy Palomalu jump on the line of scrimmage from the defensive tackle. It was nuts. So, yeah, I, I this Ohio State team is just so damn good. It's like we say it every single week, and every single week they go out there and just keep showing you why. I, I think that to answer your question, Chip, is, I mean, yeah, the defense sets it apart, but I, I really it's like it's the whole thing that makes Ohio State special in the sense that, yeah, Justin Fields wasn't like absolutely killing it early on, so – but J.K. Dobbins rushed for like what 160 or whatever you rushed for. Uh, the de- like it's the defense. It's Justin Fields throwing. It's J.K. Dobbins and Master Teague running. It's an offensive line that's really physical. It's a disciplined defense that doesn't give up big plays. It's a defense that can create turnover. Like, what? There's so many different ways that you can sort of move the beans around to to balance things out. It's for this team to be successful and have a good night and, and so they, they snowball uh, it too like one yeah. side feeds into the other where like if the defense forces a turnover it's a short field and guess what now you've got a short field to try and defend one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the country one of the best running backs in the country and a whole bunch of four and five star wide receivers do you guys find ohio state to be more likable this year with no I, urban meyer yes yeah i don't know like, <laughs> i mean i've never consciously like disliked Ohio State, but I find myself it's almost like the like the disciplinarian father is gone and has been replaced by like the cool older brother or something uh in Ryan Day and it's just I, I don't know like the it's a, it's a it's a loose group. They I think they've always been a likable team from a from like the player standpoint, but just sort of this Darth Vader presence at the top maybe is no longer there, and now all of a sudden it feels like it's a, it's a team of the people or something, too. It's this dominant juggernaut team that's also like this, I don't know, it's just sort of a vibe, and I, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if I'm alone there. No, I think it's just the not the Zach Smith situation and Urban Meyer suspension and all that kind of stuff hanging over him. I think obviously that's made a huge difference as far as the feeling free kind of aspect to it, because there, there are no distractions right now. It's just, let's go out and beat the hell out of everybody well i I will also submit and this was a a report from jenny taft during the game i think or maybe it might have been from the booth from uh gus or joel clatt but chase young offering the comment saying i've never played in the college football playoff Mm -hmm. and the that is the real motivation for me and this entire defense it's been a while since ohio state's been in the playoff to the point where you know the the best player in college football is super hungry and really motivated to try and go win a national championship. And I think that when you get uh, comfortable or complacent with sort of where Ohio State fits in the picture, 
that you know it's 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 not as likable and they've they've fallen just it's crazy to say about freaking ohio state but they've fallen like just enough on the edge without those playoff appearances in in the last couple of years such that it's like well yeah i get i guess they are the outsider that's ready to come in and uh like they along with lsu are the outsiders that are ready to come in and crash this Alab, not just Alabama, but the Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma sort of power triumvirate that has been at the core of the college football playoff picture the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I mean it's, I yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what? All right, what about LSU then? Uh, LSU. I I I already I think that I can flush this game. I mean, it's it's good that they want it, but it's uh it the the offense was a little like just like a shade off. Like Burrow had a couple of missed passes. It was mostly dink and dunks. Uh, you know, and that was that was clearly part of the strategy. Auburn's pass rush really really good early, but I to to get to this point in the season to know that the off week is on the other side, Alabama on the other side of that. I, I think that I'm able to to look at this game and feel in my judgment of LSU that a win is uh is is good enough for me. Yeah, right. there there was no point in this game where I thought LSU was going to lose. Like they, they were getting tested more than we'd seen them. Auburn's defense, you know, had three sacks, six tackles for loss. Burrow was under pressure like he hasn't been. LSU was struggling to run the ball for most of the day and but if not for 12 penalties and 118 yards, if not for the two turnovers, you know, the muffed punt that turned into the, tu- you know, that turned into the first touchdown and then Burrow throwing that pick at the, at the pretty much at the goal line, which took away another scoring opportunity for LSU. This game was a lot, you know, it's not a blowout, but LSU's probably covering at the very least, probably winning by 11 or 14 points in that situation. So, I feel like Auburn did. Auburn played the kind of game that it needed to play if it was going to find itself in a position to win this game in the end. And even then, it was a three-point game, but that's kind of misleading because Auburn got that touchdown in the final minutes after it was down by 10. So it never really had a chance in my mind to win, but it uglied things up. I mean, this is an, Auburn had 287 yards of offense. Bo Nix, 15 of 35 for 157 yards. They rushed for 130 yards as a team, but 70 of them came on that one long DJ Williams run. They never really got into any kind of flow offensively. They uglied it up, they muddied it up, and they hung around and they stuck close to it, but it's just they, they didn't have enough to beat LSU, even when LSU was kind of beating itself. Yeah, uh, credit for Auburn for figuring out a way to keep it close. Uh, credit for LSU for figuring out a way to win. But LSU was, was clearly the better team. Um, doubled up on, basically on yardage, doubled up on first downs. Uh, you know, just kind of some, some fluky stuff to, to keep it close. Uh, I, I just think this, is a, this was a good play-above-yourself kind of effort for Auburn. Um, Gus Malzahn, you know, I guess he deserves credit for having his team ready to go into this to, to Death Valley and, and put up a fight like this. But, you know, it's also like, is it chicken or egg? Like, is it Gus Malzahn that can't produce with a quarterback, or is it, is it can he not recruit any quarterbacks? Or, like, uh, I mean, this was just a, another spot where Bo Nix was just over his head to me and, and, and kind of limits them a little bit offensively. Uh, and you got to be full go. You got to be hitting on all cylinders to beat LSU offensively. Um, and uh, but to your point, Barton, guess what? This is another uh, Kevin Steele under thirty. Yeah, I mean that that that, that defense, and but really, I mean the defense did enough to win that game, uh, and it really just sort of wore down a little bit in that second half. But man, that's a physical nasty group and i mean they were thumping they were thumping burrow they were thumping the, like they were they were tossing the offensive lineman around um i mean that's a fun group to watch all right so i, I also go ahead i also think we should point out that i mean it's not like it was during for most of the midwest during the day like where we saw at purdue and columbus in the morning and we saw in ann arbor at night but the weather in baton rouge played an effect too it was kind of you know it, was, it wasn't exactly the most beautiful day for football 
Was it? Uh, was it? Was it actively raining? I think there was. I don't think it was like a pouring, but I think there was raining for most of that game, from what I could tell on my television. Seemed mm. to be spitting some precipitation. Yeah, it looked a little bit like a like an like an Ivy League New England October game. I, I mean, I, was, I saw a lot of those. Some muddy, sloppy day. Did Yale, right. did Yale win today? Forty-four to forty-one over Penn. Wow, oh, a shootout. Yeah. All right. Um, on Auburn, they get both Georgia and Alabama in Jordan Hare in November. Um, they'll be playing against Ole Miss also at home. Oh my gosh, they're home the rest of the way. Home for the are entire they? yeah. They are at home for the entire month of November. Ole Miss, Georgia, Samford, wow. Alabama. Uh, Georgia and Alabama is what I'm focused on right now. Do you think they get one of them? I think they'll get Georgia. I think they could get Georgia. Yeah, I think they definitely can get Georgia. I don't think they will get Alabama, but uh, but we'll see. I mean, we we get to learn a lot about the dogs next week, but plenty of time to uh to go on and discuss about that. What if, what if Georgia goes nine and three? God, that would be awesome. Uh, that'd be, that'd be some. <laughs> Be some Mark Richtian stuff right there. It would, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't. I mean, I've I've got nothing against Georgia. The only reason why I said awesome is I I really enjoy the way that to your point, Barton. This this college football season has just thrown us some curveballs. Right. You yeah, know I get that. Yeah, just like yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, Georgia can go nine and three. Why did we think that eleven and one or twelve and zero was such a lock? Right. <laughs> you know that was that was dumb. Um, yeah. All right, so uh, Jim Harbaugh doubled his amount of top ten wins at uh, at Michigan in sixty minutes. That's impressive, right? Yeah, Lovey Smith caught him last week, so he had to, you know, <laughs> in the number of top ten wins. Yeah, so he, he had to he had to get back past Lovey. I, I mean, the feud continues. So you mentioned it, Tom. Like it just. Sheets and sheets of rain in the first half. Uh, Shea Patterson threw three first half passes. Mm-hmm. He completed one of them. Uh, Michigan just chose not even to try. Ian Book uh, went four for thirteen in the first half, uh, which you know harkened back to when Brian Kelly wanted to throw the ball about forty five times in the middle of a hurricane at NC State a few years ago. I am. I'm going to bring this up. <laughs> Notre Dame ran 60 plays tonight in a Midwestern monsoon. 27 of them were passes. Uh, and at halftime, he mentioned on the broadcast. He said we had some opportunities to hit some passing plays and missed it. I can't figure out for the life of me how. Um, no. All right. So, Mich- lots of credit to Michigan, which in. Uh, a, a Midwestern monsoon, as Tom said, just overwhelmed Notre Dame in the at the trenches on both sides of the ball. Notre Dame couldn't run the ball at all. They they couldn't pass the ball because of the weather and uh and of course other reasons, including just Ian Book's own limitations. I mean, you could get a Chase Claypool matchup big play. You can get a Cole Komet uh good pass, a good matchup, and you know sort of overwhelming size advantages in both those cases but just not a lot, a whole lot of rhythm from that part of the Irish offense on the other side of the ball, just, you know, whether it's, um, you know, you're, you're getting it with Zach Charbonnet, you're getting it with, uh, Hassan Haskins. You are just sort of, uh, creating these holes and spaces and Notre Dame's getting gashed. And so, uh, like Barton for, for Notre Dame or, for Notre Dame, it feels Kirk, Kirk Herbstreit said on the broadcast that he he straight up called it a no show performance. For Notre Dame, is that is that your takeaway for the Irish? Because to to have looked so good and have been to, so consistent, to have developed this kind of program consistency where you feel like you know what to expect from this team, and then feel a little bit let down here. Does that does that change your opinion, or do you do you isolate the game in the situation? I mean, this feels a lot like Miami two years ago when uh, Notre Dame was was it no, was I guess Notre Dame was ranked like number two in the country or something, or or maybe it was Miami was ranked that high. Either way, you know they went down to Coral Gables or went down to to 
wherever Miami Stadium is, and got blown out. And uh, I mean, this is happening with Brian Kelly, and, and there, you know, the elements were bad, and and it was it was an ugly game, and um, I felt like as much as anything, you know, sometimes for a Michigan Don Brown defense, not sometimes, I mean, most of the time, you can tell pretty quickly if the offense has got a chance at all. And and usually if they got a chance, they got a chance to score a lot. But that doesn't happen very often. I mean, as a Michigan fan, you've got to love having Don Brown's defense to set your watch to. Ha- like, knowing you can l- rely on that. I mean, that's what's, as much as anything, as this offense has started to get going, that's what's allowed this offense to get going. It's given it the the opportunity to to, to sort of, catch up um and I, I thought that don brown's defense set the tone once again and michigan's offense we got six straight quarters of competent ball and it just it bullied notre dame i mean you look at i mean there's sort of like clips rolling on twitter of michigan offensive linemen blocking guys into the bleachers you know it's just one of those games where just everywhere you turn there was just sort of a a play where notre dame was just getting big boyed and I think, you know, this is Brian Kelly's going to catch heat for this. And in fairness, I, I, I think that Notre Dame has recognized that it doesn't have the roster and the talents to, to avoid this every once in a while. And it's tried to start addressing that, but you can't do that in one class. Uh, it has to recruit better to, to avoid this sort of thing. Um, I, I, I don't want to like blame this on her. Well, they're banged up. I mean, Aloe Gilman got a little banged up. He ended up going back into the game. We've mentioned the the losses on the defensive side. It's it's not a hundred percent Notre Dame roster. No, it's no, it's not. I mean, they just got beat up. They got they got outplayed. Michigan wanted it more. Michigan was tougher. Michigan was more physical. Um, so I don't know where to lay the blame on the f- foot of. Uh, I mean, it was a competitive first half at least, uh, but the second half, I just think they got rolled up on and, and just sort of quit. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know where to go. If, I, I don't know how to feel about this if you're a Notre Dame fan. Uh, just, a, just a night you want to forget. I mean, you you go off Herb Street's comments of saying Notre Dame didn't show up, and I saw a lot of Notre Dame fans online kind of glomming onto that and saying, man, you know, we just didn't show up. That's crap. That's a bunch of crap let's consider the sources one's the notre dame fans and one's an ohio state grad who don't want to give michigan credit for what happened on saturday night i understand the weather sucked and yes notre dame was banged up and that had a lot more to do with it than notre dame not showing up but you're going to try to tell me that notre dame a team that still has playoff hopes is going to go on the road to ann arbor to play michigan it's one of its main rivals and just not care or show up no They got beat, man. Michigan came out, punched him in the mouth, kept punching him in the mouth, and just took care of him. And then, yes, towards the second half, when it was clear that they had no shot to come back and win this game in these conditions, they kind of laid down and just died. But it had this is nothing to do with Notre Dame not showing up. Notre Dame showed up and got his butt kicked. It was that simple. Yeah, I'm actually glad that you that you took it there because Michigan's Michigan's been a punching bag. For a lot of people, and a lot of people like to, to, to use Michigan as a punching bag, and, and this was this was just a team that went out there and just just kick kick Notre Dame's ass. I mean, that I, I'm I'm sort of proud of that. I'm proud of that <laughs> yeah. in some ways. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Everybody wants to dunk on Michigan when it's bad, and then as soon as it does the thing that everybody's been saying that it hasn't been able to do, they're like, well, they just didn't. Notre Dame just didn't show up. It's no. The Michigan team you said you waited for all this time did show up finally. And now you just don't want to act. You just want to, you'd rather pretend it didn't happen because you'd rather just keep on dunking on Michigan. That's all it is. In the early second quarter. So the, the first Michigan score uh, came off of a, a bad Notre Dame mistake, a dumb Notre Dame mistake. And then the Notre Dame defense actually does a good job with its back against the wall of holding Michigan to just a field goal. So it's three, nothing Michigan. And then the next time that Michigan got the ball, it's early second quarter. They put together an eight play touchdown drive where every damn play was a run. 
how are you going to allow like like to be able to overwhelm your opponent at the line of scrimmage to the point where you just don't even have to throw passes is so uh like it is fitting for a rivalry that started in the 19th century. It is fitting for a Jim Harbaugh coach team that like, you know, came up with the the spirit of Bo and like whatever, like Josh Gaddis has brought a lot to this offense that has diversified it in terms of its scheme, but to have Michigan win with a tough physical sort of ground centric performance, Jim Harbaugh, has specifically in addition to Michigan been a punching bag. I kind of think that this is uh this is the, this is ye old signature win. I mean, this is something that is really, really good with the context of everything that's happened this week, everything that's been going on with Michigan throughout this season to be able to get this win against this opponent in this style. It's uh, it's the kind of thing that is going to make, you know, what I believe will be an eventual loss to Ohio State, what I believe will be not competing for the Big Ten uh, championship in Indianapolis, it'll make all of that so much easier to uh, to wrestle with at the end of the season when you're doing your evaluation, knowing that in this huge moment against a top 10 team in the big house, you just kick Notre Dame's ass. Yeah, and since halftime of last week, when Michigan kind of figured out a way to finally be able to run the ball, which is a problem it had a, for pretty much all season long, it hadn't been able to run the ball until like the second half last week. Against two top 10 teams in Penn State and Notre Dame, over the last six quarters, Michigan has outscored them 59 to 21. Mm. So I, th- I think that going forward, I still don't think Michigan's beating Ohio State, but I think that as we go along over this final month of the season, this is a much better Michigan team than we saw over the first month and a half. Coming up on the other side, more of our thoughts on week nine from across college football next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Um, all right, Barton, you were in the uh, you you were in uh, CBS Sports HQ in Stanford. You had all of the screens. You had all of the attention. You've been crushing it on the uh, on the highlights and on the entire country coverage. What's been burning? What have you been excited to uh, talk to your friends Tom and Chip about? Ooh. Well, I mean, this was very much a fire hose day. Head on a swivel kind of day, especially that 3.30 sesh. Oh, There's deep in lot, the 3.30. Yeah, a lot going on. And I feel like I had a little bit of um, sensory overload, and I, I don't know how much I was able to absorb. But let's go, let's go Texas TCU. What, uh, what do you guys make of this? What do you guys make of this, this, this development? I mean, I, we... Uh, I picked TCU. I can't remember if, if I was alone on that or not, but it wasn't a shock. I mean, it was a close line. It was practically a pick em. Uh But, yeah, Chip was on it too. Um, but Texas gets beat by a true freshman quarterback. Uh, where, where's – is it – we're losing some back? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this – like – isn't also Oklahoma like super banged up in the secondary too? And Texas is sort of defined by how it's a little bit of the walking wounded, uh, just sort of throughout the roster. I I think that dumb games and games that aren't necessarily good can still be fun games. And this was just 
This this was a fun Big 12 game that reminded me of before they were back, and I actually liked the throwback. So how about that, Barton? To answer your question, this was a throwback to when Texas wasn't back, and I liked it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, and, and, and truthfully, while, yes, the true freshman Max Duggan had a big game throwing the ball where he, you know, he'd struggled earlier in the year at times. Uh, a big part of this was the the great iconic Sam Ellinger. Four picks. Uh, throwing four yep. picks. I mean, that, that, that really, um, in a lot of ways, sealed Texas's fate. Uh, so, uh, you know, I just, it, this is, uh, Trey Scott, our editor at 24-7, is a big Texas fan, and he's a very emotional person. And watching the emotional roller coaster of the last few weeks with him has been, you know, entertaining in, in a lot of ways. And it's it's also a little bit fascinating to just observe how Texas fans who have such high expectations sort of perceive this Tom Herman era. I mean, not, not that they have any doubts because of one loss in the, you know, generally speaking. But I think they're also very frustrated because they, they thought they had graduated from these sort of losses, and clearly they haven't. I mean, it's kind of like Chip said. This game was entertaining, but it wasn't good. And Ellinger's four interceptions clearly had a huge impact in a 10-point game. But I don't want to take away anything that TCU did either because I, TCU played well enough to win the game. TCU did win the game. It was just It was a fun game where... I'm not going to take too much from it either way. We've we've known about Texas's flaws for a few weeks now. We've talked about the injuries on on defense. We've just talked about the fact that even without the injuries, they hadn't really been all that good on defense as it was. The offense has been kind of a compiling offense, but it hasn't been an explosive kind of big play offense. And that's pretty much everything that we saw on Saturday. And it lost by 10 points because it kept giving TCU the ball. So we got Kansas State over Oklahoma. We got TCU over Texas. We got Oklahoma over Iowa State. Every single Big 12 ranked team in action on Saturday lost. It was a great day to be Baylor. Kansas yeah. took down Texas Tech in bananas fashion. Can we talk about that? Yes, please. So I didn't watch a lot of that game. No, of course, dude. Don't don't apologize for not watching a lot of Kansas. We already uh, discussed how loaded the sort of like three thirty into the sevens and seven thirties. I mean, all that stuff is a blur, right? Yeah, no yeah, doubt. yeah. But no, no worries. Fortunately, I, I I sniffed it out towards the end of the game. I said, "There's some mayhem going on," and look, there's a bunch of these Yankees up here in, in Connecticut that wanted to watch World Series. And so I had to commandeer a couple TVs to make sure the proper games were on. And I, I got Kansas on a TV. And, uh, you know, I, I, there was other games on. I was, you know, looking up, you know, side-eyeing it, seeing big plays here, big plays there, whatever. Big 12 game. Interesting game. Fortunately, I settled in to watch the winning sequence. Are you? Did you guys see this? Are you familiar with how this played out? Only on highlights. I watched none of it live. This was it was all one of those things that uh, occurred to me digitally, and I had to obtain the uh, the footage later. So this was so less miles, so less miles. Uh, there was like ten seconds left. The field goal try was like I don't know, like. 47 yards or something it was it was a long enough to where it it wasn't a gimme but you know certainly makeable uh and kansas had moved the ball to this point big moment here fourth down snap it looks like there are some operation issues gets blocked oh darn we're going to overtime texas tech recovers the the blocked kick starts to return it Assumes this is the last play of the game, and so the guy laterals it, fumbles the ball, Kansas recovers it. Because there is a change of possession, it is now first down Kansas with three seconds left, Mm -hmm. and now they have a much more makeable field goal at 32 yards. And when when this field goal goes in, there's no time left on the clock. Chess 
versus checkers. <laughs> Les Miles outthinks us all. Uh, I mean, I'm just like ridiculous, ridiculous nonsense. It, uh, it's amazing how like these things always happen in games involving Les Miles. <laughs> And have been for like what thirteen like, years? Yeah, it's like how how is there such a high free? I mean, I think we know, but there's such a high frequency of less miles games that have bananas endings because it's. But even something like that, like you know, a blocked field goal where Texas Tech laterals to nowhere. <laughs> it's, oh yeah, it's amazing. And now Kansas and one and four. In the big, no, no, they're two and four now, right? In the Big Twelve, because they, yeah, no, that was their first big. Their, uh, their other they're three and five overall. Yeah, the three and five overall. Overall, they've got the uh, at Boston College win, as you'll mm-hmm. remember from earlier this season. This is, yeah, this is their first Big Twelve win. So, I mean, Kansas has that in common with with Clemson, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Kansas didn't win by fifty two though. <laughs> um. All right, so before before we uh, hit Clemson, if if there's any takeaways from Clemson, who is in the Big Twelve championship game on that first weekend in December? Baylor and Oklahoma. Pardon? I mean, I, yeah, I could I could rock with that. Uh, I mean, I still think Oklahoma will get there. Uh, I still thought Iowa State maybe was the second best team in the conference, but. Man, I mean, Iowa State, I mean, t- you know, the same day that Sam Ellinger throws four picks, um, Brock Purdy throws three. And, you know, they, Oklahoma State just went and got them. I mean, Oklahoma State was going to get somebody. And that's, I mean, hey, man, this is a, my, 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 my four year old daughter is, all she wants to watch is, is spooky stuff on TV right now. She's big into Halloween. She only wants to watch spooky stuff. Man, the Big 12 is spooky. <laughs> Like it is spook like every week it's scary and and the Oklahoma State went out and 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 they got him one and uh, I mean I I I thought Iowa State was the second best team in the conference but obviously I mean because look yeah I know they lost to Baylor but they outgamed Baylor like they they very well could be a better team than Baylor play play a thousand times they win not you know seven hundred but I I think at this point. You, you kind of got to lean Baylor, Oklahoma. What was more impressive, Clemson beating Boston College by 52 or uh, Chaz Surratt picking off a jump pass at the goal line to seal a 20-17 to 17 win after the defense gave up like a 90-yard drive? Why does North Carolina just keep playing the same <laughs> game over and over again? Yeah, that's a great call. That's exactly what's happening. <laughs> because Because that game was lost for like two straight seasons. You know, the entire 2000, because wasn't that sort of the premise of your uh, Mac Brown belief North Carolina over Barton was like this team has played in so many close games and it's lost them all. If you just consider that they'll win just a few more than they did, then they're going to go over. And I think that that's what we're seeing. Yeah. And, and consider quarterback play and, you know, they've gotten a guy that can, won't lose you the game. Sometimes he may even win it for you. Uh, I didn't watch any of that game, so I don't really know how that played out. And I only know that there was a crazy last play, and I haven't even seen what it looked like. Uh, but man, good for Mac. And and look, you got less less winning big games. You got Herm doing Herm stuff, even though today was a tough week for them. And you got Mac. I mean, I, I was kind of wrong about all of those guys. It looks like. Maybe the most wrong about Les. I really didn't have much faith in him. But good for the old heads coming in and, you know, getting it done. Dabo, 52-point win. Is that enough for y'all? Is that enough blood for uh, all the angry masses? I mean, it seemed to me like they were just kind of coasting there. (laughs) I mean, we're we're for real, though. Our, Our... can, can is it time to tur- flip the switch? I mean, they they flipped the switch from. Can we flip our switch from Clemson is disappointing narrative to to all right? Clemson looks like Clemson again. Listen, Clemson had six hundred and seventy four yards of offense, which was about five hundred more than Boston College's one hundred and seventy seven. <laughs> 
I, I really wow. I really think that a lot of people aren't watching Clemson football. I think they're watching people talk about Clemson football on Twitter. And if you only watch what people say about Clemson football on Twitter, then they're disappointing. And I think that if you actually watch them play football, their defense is elite. And their offense, like, yeah, there's there's some some key mistakes. There's some disappointing moments. But the good plays far outweigh the bad plays. It's just that the only things that people tweet about aren't the good plays. It's the bad plays. It's part of the price of success, though. Once you prove that you're great, as soon as you're not looking great every week, it's like, whoa, hey, what's wrong? Things are they're starting to come apart at the seams. But it's like the, you know, they're dropping in the AP poll while they're winning by 30 plus points. But, you know, that's that's probably because it's a lot of beat writers who are trying to cover their own team and they're just trying to pick up what they can from sitting on Twitter all day. And they're like, wow, Wait. I understand clips of one by 30, but everybody that was tweeting about them says that they stink. I understand that if you're Clemson or a Clemson fan, it's word dropping in the poll. I don't look at it as Clemson dropping in the poll as much as I look at it as LSU and Ohio State climbing in the poll. No, I like I, I think Clemson if like Clemson is currently rising in my polls because they were down at six or seven a month ago and they've been creeping up ever since. And I just think it's about sort of order of operation and i think most people had the op the, the order flipped you know clemson shouldn't have been one or two dropping to three they should have been five or six moving up up to four at this point and maybe they're even should be as high as three you could probably make that case um but at this point i think though we're you know we can we can quit the charade that just because they almost lost to north carolina means that somehow clemson is is not national championship caliber this year. Uh, that 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 game's a long time ago at this point. For for whatever it's worth, I will say that in my ranking system, the only ranking system that matters, and the only one that's right, even coming into this week, Clemson was number two, and it's still going to be number two. I'm guessing after everything updates tomorrow. <laughs> um. So we've got Penn State surviving. Uh, not even surviving. I mean, they just jumped out to a big lead and they were able to defend it. They had a really, really impressive win at Michigan State. Uh, Minnesota absolutely thumped Maryland. I don't think that it does anything for me because it's Maryland, but I mean, that is a a real life in the wild 8-0 Minnesota team with a 5-0 conference record. Uh, Iowa and Northwestern, do you guys know what the game duration of that was? Uh, about 220. It was 252. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. The the Wisconsin Ohio State game was really quick too. Crispy. And that's on Fox where they are not trying to make the games quick. What uh what what else stands out from uh from the day? Uh Hey Tom, is Lovey Smith is he uh is is he got a job next year? Yeah. Wow. I mean, so I mean are you calling off the you, you <laughs> call you 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 uh telling the search committee no more payments necessary? Your job is done. We'll talk to you next fall, see where we're at. Listen, as I said when asked about this question last week, a good athletic director is always keeping a list of names just in case worse comes to worse. But, I mean, Illinois beat Purdue in just an absolute mess of a game in, in the rain, in the wind. I think that, you know, it's – it. That you know what Ann Arbor was this evening when it was really bad in the first half for the while. That's pretty much what the entirety of Illinois Purdue were playing in. But they're four and four now, and they've got games left against Rutgers and Northwestern, both at home. Both games that suddenly look a lot more winnable. And then it's part there's a part of me where it's like they're four and four, but they should be five and three had they not lost to Eastern Michigan at home. So suddenly Illinois is a team that's looking like it's got a good chance to get to a bowl, and there's there's no way in the world they're firing Lovey Smith if they get to a bowl game. You know, this was a little bit of a re- like revival week. I mean, Tennessee went and beat South Carolina, mm-hmm. beat them handily. I mean, you know, they were, sprinkle. There you go. Not a plus eleven hundred, but one hit. of the one of the uh, producers uh, up here f- took my money line sprinkle on K State and your money line sprinkle on Tennessee and parlayed it. And uh, <laughs> now he only he only put like fifteen bucks on it, but that still won him about four hundred and fifty five hundred bucks, something like that. So 
uh, we are legit making some people money. But what I was getting at is, uh, so Jeremy Pruitt gets off the mat. Uh, Chip Kelly, big day, gets off the mat. Lovey Smith follows up on the big win with another one. You know, Willie Taggart gets him a win. Um, they might Tom not. Tom Allen at Indiana. They're bowl eligible before November in in uh, Bloomington. There might not be a single coach fired this year. I <laughs> mean, they, obviously, besides besides, no more coaches fired. I mean, all these guys who. This was just sort of a big week for teams for and 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 I think you can put Michigan in that in, in a way too. Like, um, it just feels like this was a week. Everybody's always talking about growing bamboo. It looks like they felt like this was a week where a little bit of that bamboo sprouted, and the all the 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 watering and the work behind the scenes that uh, you know makes for some bamboo growth spurts started to hit today. Did you uh? Would you consider bamboo growth Willie Taggart dumping out everything from his playbook, or Kendall Bryles dumping out everything from his playbook? Is, is, that, is that how they? Is that what they did? Because I did oh, not watch much. Of oh, that one. Barton, Barton, Cam Akers took I think seven consecutive snaps on one touchdown drive. Like, well, they, yeah, and he was they, throwing they passes too last year. He was he was out there throwing crisp spirals on wide receiver tunnel screens. He's in a high addition to they should have been playing him a quarterback off year with all the, with the with the mess that they've been going through uh so yeah good i'm glad to hear it they were there was also uh, that double pass flea flicker thing that was just an absolute mess but it worked out yeah hornybrook was lining up at wide receiver they were having everybody run everybody pass i mean it was uh it it was what was uh what was that style of football was it like a11 a11 yeah yes yeah. Yeah, A11 stuff. Nice. I, wow. I I I they were doing that A11 stuff where you've got like four or five players lined up on one sideline and then the, everybody else on the other. I mean it was it was nuts. The A, the, A, the A11 stuff is like multi quarterbacks like on the field system where like anyone can throw it. Right. Princeton just, like Princeton has done a bunch of that over the last few years. Uh maybe maybe Kendall's been watching some Princeton film. Uh, you know what? That, that's awesome. You know what they were doing out there, guys? They were just having fun out there. They were. They were feel. I mean, hey, you know, things are going poorly. Have one of those games. You know, let's just do it. Let's just go out there and have fun. It's football. It's a game. Let's let's have fun. They won. Maybe this will kind of get everybody feeling good over the last month of the season. Maybe Florida State's going to get on a little bit of a roll here. Well, everybody's talking about us getting fired, so we might as well just call the fun plays while we still got yeah. these good players. <laughs> you still got Tamari on Terry and Cam Akers on the field. It's like, well, this we we might as well get this in. Uh, that Miami game also very interesting after Miami found a way to win at Pittsburgh. So uh so keep keep your eye on that one as we uh, continue our Willie Taggart watch. How about uh Missouri going to Kentucky and just getting just run out of town? by Lynn Bowden and his boys. Man, Kentucky's – this is like week is – it, is it the fourth game with a wide receiver starting at quarterback? Like there's nothing left in the playbook that they haven't put on the field. I think it's the third game with him starting, but like three and a half games he's had to play it. I mean, I don't know what to make of Missouri, but um, good Another- on Kentucky. Missouri's the Bo Nix of teams. They're great at home and horrible on the road. Yeah. Yeah, you get them away from Columbia. They get real scared. Start looking for the exits as soon as they get in the door. Can't they're trust like, them. They're like that kid when you were young who came for the sleepover but then started crying around 11 p.m. And wanted to go home. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't, c- couldn't handle the uh, c- couldn't handle how intense things got with the Mario Kart. <laughs> Right, right. Like comes comes in pounding his chest, feeling like a tough guy, and then uh, the night hits. <laughs> and the sugar rush wears off, and he misses mommy. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll have we'll have a lot more to uh, to dissect as we continue to move forward. Oregon currently 
uh, holding a 24 to 20 lead at the end of the third quarter. That could be dramatic. Washington State put up a, a pretty good fight in the first half. Uh, we'll be curious to continue to follow that, but that, that would be very college football for the best, like the best possible day today took place for Oregon. Yeah, like they're they're back in the college football race, and then if they were to lose to Washington State tonight, it'd be very on brand for the Pac-12. It would very much so. Um, anything else we want to get out before we uh, uh, close up shop here? Wow, Memphis was. Mm. Really, really lucky against Tulsa tonight. Did everything they could to blow that game, and then Tulsa just completely boffed an easy game winner field goal. Uh, I mean, Rutgers, UConn, and uh, Kansas. Kansas all win on the same day. Yeah. That's well, a special day. Uh, Rutgers, UConn, and K- well, look, I think Kansas has graduated from that tier, um, but. Rutgers UConn wins are uh, to be taken with a grain of salt. How bad must UMass be? I mean, and good for Rutgers. I mean, uh, Liberty's going to go probably like seven and five this year and be like the fourth worst team in college football. Like they they're they're going to have to beat they're going to beat New Mexico State twice. They ha- they literally have New Mexico State their schedule twice. And uh, and they've beaten like a couple FCS teams. Like it's what's just... what's the bowl game that's not on TV? There's the one... that one bowl game that's not doesn't have like a TV deal. It's on Stadium or Facebook or something. Yeah, that's Liberty will be in that game. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that one doesn't have a sponsor either. Yeah, it might just straight up be the something bowl, wherever it's located. Uh, Jerry Fall Jerry Fall will find a sponsor for him. Game, no doubt. Uh, Game of the year coming up next week. Bowling Green, which was a 49 to 10 loser at Western Michigan, hosts Akron. So Barton are over under three. It's on the table next weekend. That's 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 where we get our winner. There Big we go. Uh, I assumed you meant Illinois Rutgers. Oh no, that's that's how we get uh that's how we get Rutgers closer. That's how we get Illinois closer to uh what would the bowl game look like for uh, the Illini? Oh, we're going quick lane, baby. Mm. <laughs> I here's the you're, you're I, already I, scouting out hotel rooms. Yeah, you know it. I mean, beautiful downtown Detroit, but it's like, I it's it'll be so Illinois for them to beat Wisconsin, beat Purdue, and then lose at home to Rutgers. That's impossible, Tom. That's impossible. I uh, I would not say impossible. We have no, seen some wild either. stuff today. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about Rutgers, (laughs) but hey, I guess so. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. He is Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, The mailbag is open. You head on over. You leave a five-star review. You include your question. It will be answered on a mailbag Monday. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Plus (laughs) 1,100. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.